Um, but that gratitude felt so good to get in return. Like it just uh, reinforced the message that being grateful spreads gratitude to others, spreads to others. And none of us got here alone. And so it's it's uh, an egomaniacal fool who believes that he climbed the mountain by himself. The mm -hmm. person that made your shoes helped you climb that mountain. The person that trained you helped the climb. Everything came from a culmination of lots of people, whether you see that or not. Uh, so gratitude's everything. Gratitude's everything. And I, and I appreciate the people who have propelled my career. And I also appreciate the people who have stopped me in my tracks, the failures, mm -hmm. the things that got hard. I'm grateful for the hard relationships, you know, the people who have come and gone from working in the business, the clients that have come and gone, because every relationship, you have to be grateful for the hard times just as much as you're grateful for the good, the spa package. You got to be grateful for the hard things that you got through too. Welcome to a new season of Ad Blocking with Jason Duane Smith. We're living in a time of challenges who we are, where we stand, and where we want to be. Whether you're a CEO, a small business owner, or a local school teacher, the need to grow and evolve exists for all of us. This season of Ad Blocking, we explore inspiring tales of taking risks, challenging convention, and becoming brave. Stories that may inspire us, or perhaps remind us, we must choose our heart on the road to becoming whole. In today's episode, I speak with Abby Cheeseman, founder and executive producer at creative studio SkillScout. As an entrepreneur and small business owner, Abby stands as one of the few innovators that have found success within both her passions and her purpose. Our discussion explores the importance of values, gratitude, failure, and hustle in achieving and reaching your next level. In a world where ambition can often bring out the worst in us, Abby's humility and relentless commitment to people and culture represent the light many of us need to see as we find our way through this maze of personal growth and change. I hope Abby's wisdom and vulnerability inspire us all to win with kindness and humanity. She's proven it works. That said, let's dive in. Well, Abby, um, thanks for hanging out with me. Really, really, really appreciate it. Um, it's kind of funny that you are on this podcast because you're like, damn, I wish I wouldn't have said hi to you after you uh, said hello at this Chicago ad fan thing. Now I'll sign myself up for no way. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I love podcasts. This is a highlight of my week. <laughs> but I mean, that is really like a really cool place to start is, I mean, the reason that I invited you on here and you are super rare for me and that you're someone that I have very recently gotten to know. Normally folks that I have on the podcast are people that, you know, I have pretty long standing relationships or, you know, I've worked with them for an extended period of time, but I really want to start with just how impressive you were from the moment that I met you. It was at a very, I think, uh, insightful and, and, and interesting Chicago Ad Fed event, the Addies, where we recognize uh, a lot of Chicago's significant and innovative creative efforts. And I mean, you were standing next to me. I had my son there and it was just, I'm, I'm pretty social. So I talk to, I try to talk to a lot of people, but you were just had this wonderful smile like you have now. People can't see it, but and just gave off this just wonderful energy. And and I uh, was happy to say hello. And, and we just got to know each other and talk to each other about, you know, what you're doing professionally, but more importantly, just like who you are. And that's what I want to kind of talk about today is, you know, who Abby is, you know, what you're all about and and maybe help some others kind of think about where they might want to go in their lives and their career. So if you're OK with it, I just love to start with just young Abby, you know, like, <laughs> well, you know, what, what you know, what was. Uh. 
you know, what was life like, you know, when you were growing up and, uh, you know, in a Cheeseman family, you know, and in a Cheeseman household, you know, love to talk about just your early days and perhaps, you know, what do you recall as being some of your early inspirations and what kind of drove you to become the person that you are today? Uh, great question. I've been reflecting on this. Um, so I grew up in Iowa, blue collar family. My dad worked for a utility company. Uh, he's an anomaly. He still works there today, like 30, you know, 40 years almost later. Um, but my mom was an HR manager at Walmart and hardworking people, um, salt of the earth. I, I always knew that I wanted to be like them, but also be financially independent, right? Like I, I wanted to be able, I, I wanted to earn enough money that I didn't have to think about money. Um, and at first, you know, like I knew I wanted to help people. So I'm like, maybe I'll be a pediatrician. Maybe I'll be a teacher. Um, and then honestly, this is going to sound so silly. I watched friends. That was like a big coming of age when I was growing up and I was like, nope, not going to be a pediatrician. not going to be a teacher. I think I'm going to move to New York city. and get a high power career. Not sure how this is going to work, but I knew I wanted to do something big. Um, and so that led me to studying psychology. Uh, I kind of landed in this place of curiosity, just like, what do people do? What, you know, what, what motivates people? How, as people, do we accomplish these great feats and do big things in the world? And so I wanted to understand that. Um, so it was sort of a selfish intellectual <laughs> curiosity that led me down that path. But what I realized was psychology can be a jumping point off into anything. Um, so I use that jumping point to uh, come to Chicago for grad school and study psychology as it relates to business. And um, there's always been a little bit of an entre entrepreneurial bug in my ear. Uh, my dad owns Pete's Place and it's a small, a, it used to be a post office. It's a small shop, but um, just seeing someone, he works you know, a day job too, and then does that at night. So the hustle and the hard work and seeing my dad own something that was his um, was really inspiring to me. And I moved to Chicago, went to grad school, uh, had the great fortune of getting a job as a research assistant at a consulting firm while I was going to school. And uh, I was going to school at night and working uh, to put myself through grad school during the day. And I got a job as a research assistant. And having studied psychology, you know, that meant something very different in my mind than what I ultimately ended up doing. So I was working for uh, Gravity Tank, which was an innovation and design firm. They were later bought by Salesforce, but Chicago-based. Um, I knew someone who worked there. She got me on as a, as a research assistant. And what I was doing was coding user market research data. And I was like, whoa, you guys have access to just like all this information that if it were to go through channels in psychology, like you'd have to go through the IRB. Like there's just this access that market research had that I wasn't getting in school. Um, because of the formality of what it becomes when you do research through an institution. So I just started completely nerding out. I was, they were doing like consumer packaged goods research and product innovation. And it just became like very interesting. I started learning a ton, smartest people I ever worked with. Um, and ultimately I decided to end grad school at my master's instead of the PhD program that I was in, because I was learning so much more at work than I was at school. And it was I was, I'm an A student, like I'm a rule follower. And so it was a big life decision point to do that. I felt like, am I failing? Is this the right choice? Um, but I decided to quit. I, I quit grad school and joined uh, as a full-time researcher and it was the best move of my life. Um, but in the moment it was terrifying. It, it felt like, have I done all of these things to lead up to this academic you know, career? And then I'm giving it all up because I'm pursuing something that's interesting to me. Um, and really it reshaped how I thought about what's interesting to me. Like it's okay mm -hmm. to pursue things because you enjoy pursuing them. In fact, that's what we should all be doing, but it felt very wrong in the moment. Um, and so I, before that, I think it's important to mention, like I've, I had worked a ton of jobs. Like I, I worked a lot in the service industry, put myself through college, working at restaurants as a barista. Um, I worked as a bank teller. So I really, I really got a good uh, smattering of job experiences before I hit grad school, which I think was really good for me. Um, but it was the first time that I chose something that I wanted to do when I made mm. that choice to quit school. Um, and it was, it, yeah, it was the best decision I ever made. Um, and really, you know, I met my mentor, uh, Chris Conley there. He's the founder of Gravity Tank. 
Um, and he is somebody that, you know, you meet, the, we talked about this at the event, but you meet a handful of people in life that just become door openers and, and mentors in ways that give you opportunities that you wouldn't have had otherwise. And Chris is like the absolute first and biggest person in my life that's done that. Um, and I look back on that and, you know, he's, he's an executive. He's an, a professor at the time at the Institute of Design. Um, smart guy, engineer, industrial designer, everybody wanted a little piece of Chris's wisdom. And I still look back and wonder like, why did he choose to mentor me? Because he put a lot of time and effort into developing me. And I didn't realize how lucky I was at the time. I, I realize it now. Um, but at the time I was just like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to squeeze as much knowledge out of this situation as I possibly can get. Hmm. Hmm. Um, hmm. hmm. There's, yeah. there's, there's a lot. And oh my gosh. Well, there's two things that I want to build on and happy thanks for sharing that because what it really highlights is the importance of actually like being brave and taking chances on yourself pretty early even when you might not be completely sure of what the next turn may produce it's a little bit of that what I call certainty within uncertainty meaning that you're certain that you have a feeling you have a passion you have a want you might just be uncertain about what that passion and want may produce so one of the things i would like to build on from that story goes back to the moment that you decided to resign your efforts at grad school and use your work experience as your learning environment i want to dig there because i think a lot of people encounter a scenario in which they are doing something in life in which they're very passionate about it but they struggle to understand, do I place a bet on this? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And and that is the pivot point because it is the fork in the road. If you don't decide to make that choice, your life results will and, and likely will be dramatically different. Doesn't mean it's better or worse, but it will likely be different. Mm -hmm. And I know it was some time ago, and you might not remember precisely what was going through your mind, but help me and help the folks who are listening kind of know what you were looking for. What were you experiencing to help you make such a like pivotal decision? And, and, and what can we maybe learn from that? Because I'm, I'm personally always thinking about that stuff. Like, I, I think this is the right thing for me, but I don't want to give up this other thing. So I'll just love to know what your decision-making process was and what was going on in your head. It's a great question. Um, I think the first thing was the persistence of the thought. Like mm. I couldn't dismiss it. Like I, I couldn't, I'd keep coming back to it after I dismissed like that's a crazy idea or that doesn't, that doesn't seem right or that's irresponsible. And it kept coming back. And when I unpack why I think it kept coming back, it's because I was hitting flow at work and just getting lost in what I was doing and enjoying it and losing time and space and accomplishing things. And I couldn't get that experience when I was, working on school and it just kept happening over and over again and it was that little persistent nudge in the back of my head um, that I think really triggered me to explore it and I didn't really talk to anybody about it normally I would like consult all of the smart people around me but this decision felt so personal like I didn't tell my parents until I had already done it I didn't tell my boss until I had already done it I mean we had kind of kept in touch about like what's your path and I knew that there would probably be a job for me full-time if I wanted it, um, if my circumstances changed. and But I didn't consult anybody except for, at the time, my boyfriend, but now my husband. And that felt really weird and insulated, but in big life decisions, like I think keeping the decision small and the decision makers small served to my benefit because once you open it up to the peanut gallery, some of those doubtful voices come in, even if people are trying to be helpful. Um, but I didn't want the doubt, like, I didn't want my parents to worry about it. I didn't want, I didn't want doubt influence, even though that might not have been people's intent. And that happens a lot. Like when you open up, mm. then you get, then, then you're pressured with making, you know, sort of the median decision based on all the input that you get instead of like the true center. So I think, I think that was it. It was a different kind of decision than any decision I'd made. Cause you know, I would always consult people that I trusted and, try to get as much information as possible. But this one just came from within. It just came from that voice, that persistence. Mm. I, I I, think you coined, or maybe the t term exists, but I'm certainly adding it to my uh, 
verbal toolkit, the median decision. That's so true, isn't it? That is so true. Like, you kind of end up with, uh, (laughs) you know, just this, like, run-of-the-mill choice-making because you're trying to intake so many points of reference. And maybe a build on that sort of median decision and getting points of input is a second follow-up to the story you shared is about um, your relationship with your mentor. You know, I want to go there because I think that everyone is always looking for someone that whether they call it a mentor, uh, a, a guide, a sponsor, counsel, whatever it is that they call it, Abby, I tend to think that most of us do benefit from having that particular outlet. And so oh, yeah. I do want to kind of talk a little bit about when you reflect on it was Chris, right? Chris was his name. Yep. When you reflect on Chris being your mentor at that stage, what do you think is important in a mentor? You know, because everyone can't play that role. Everyone shouldn't play that role, by the way. So when you reflect on that, what do you think was his role? And what do you think are the core traits of a great mentor in helping people, you know, take their next step and evolve their decision making? I think it's much more about a match between the people than any kind of defining core traits. Of course, you have to, you have to, as a mentor, gone through things and accomplished things that put you in a position of a little bit more wisdom than the person that's a couple of miles behind you on the trail. Um, but I think what made Chris such an awesome mentor, like he's just an amazing human, but he and I come from really similar households. Like he comes from small town, Midwestern, salt of the earth people. I think his family's even Catholic. Like I, we share a lot of the same, you know, woes and, and wonders of growing up in a similar <laughs> circumstance um, where neither of us came from a lot. And I think that was foundationally uh, like a really good match. And then I think because of those life circumstance similarities, we shared values. So we shared things that we were looking to achieve. He wants to do good in the world. um, And he wants to use what gifts he has and the abilities that he has to do good in the world and also, um, you know, make an impact. And I share that. Uh, And so he was just a really good guide for me to see something in someone else that I I wanted to accomplish, um, but the path was unclear. So I think if you're looking for a mentor, it's like find people that you really admire and then find out more about them to, to see if there's a match of of what they're actually driving for um because there's i think when you look up to people sometimes you can think that they might be working towards one thing but they might be working towards something totally different so Mm. understanding that value and not just like oh this person's wealthy and successful that's great but what why are there there are a lot of ways that people might have gotten to that place and you have to understand their why to see if it matches your why and for me i was so lucky that his was exactly once i found out more i was like okay yep this is perfect. I love that. I love the the matching the why. I think that is really important. And, you know, it's similar, you know, I think this state in your storytelling and your career, you know, now you're actually working with someone that you really respect, right? And you kind of are beginning to admire and the space really reflects what your core interest is. But you don't stay there forever. So I'm curious as to, you know, what was that experience like when you decided to, you know, resign your efforts in, you know, postgraduate school and and really focus on your career development? Um, I'd just love to hear a little bit about what that experience was like and then how that started to build or what you learned from that experience that kind of moved you into your, your next phase. Yeah. So once I quit grad school and went full time with Gravity Tank, I got put on a project um, for the Kellogg Foundation. And it was innovating to help connect young people to employment. Like what are ways that we can design systems or um, networks that we can remove barriers for people who are trying to look for jobs. And I I was put on that project with another uh, research associate, Elena Valentine. Um, And we basically spent the next year or so doing research on this problem, talking to companies, talking to young people, particularly like young people who had been incarcerated or faced other barriers to employment. And we just kept hearing the same thing over and over again. And it's, you cannot be what you cannot see. And the company said the same thing. It's like, if people don't know what jobs are like, it's really hard for us to communicate the reality of what it's going to be. So fast forward, uh, Chris led that project. 
And it became pretty clear that there was an opportunity to use video um, to help as one of the solutions to this project. We did that in, in the uh, research and did some prototypes and it was successful. Um, and pretty quickly after that, Chris was able to identify that like, hey, you guys could make a business out of this. Um, you guys could go off and like, actually with the learnings that you've taken from this project and your ingenuity, like go, go sell this to companies. Um, so he saw it before we did, and that's really the beginning of the next chapter. Um, and Elena and I, with Chris and a lot of support from him and the other leaders at Gravity Tank, uh, you know, formed our own company and started off into the the wild startup world. They were kind enough and believed in us enough to give us some startup funds um, just to get get off the ground. We're not talking like startup world, you know, million dollar rounds. We're talking about the basics to get a small business off the ground. And she and I just started filming jobs. And that was that was the birth of the company uh, that I own today. And it happened really fast when I look back on it. But it feels like I spent like most of my career at Gravity Tank because I learned so much in such a short, intense amount of time. I think I was there like maybe five years um, mm. in total from the time I started and the time we launched the business. But it felt like a lifetime. Like it felt like I'd, I had had a whole career there because of just the intensity of the work and the intensity of how smart and cool all the people were, I soaked a lot up. Um, but that, yeah, I, I, we launched the business, uh, together. Um, and really just the, the rest is history. We've been through a lot of trials and tribulations since then. And it's not an easy path after that, but having someone help see the opportunity and then kind of kick you out of the nest a little bit. I think that was really important. Um, and, it mitigated some of the risk that we were feeling because it was a big risk. We had these cushy consulting jobs and we both quit. And I had a kid at the time too. Um, so I, my first, I have three kids. My daughter was maybe 18 months when we started the business. Mm. So it, it was a lot riskier in hindsight than it felt in the moment. Oh my gosh. I mean, so a couple, few things on that one. Well, what I love about the sort of pivot from, you know, working with your company and then pivoting into starting your own efforts is your boss manager encourage you to take this route. Yeah. Okay. So in a way you were already functioning as an intrapreneur to some degree, right? Right. And where totally. you were, you, 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 cause this is really key foundationally, you were in an environment in which you had, a mentor supportive relationship that believed in you. Secondarily, that environment allowed you to really develop some entrepreneurial capabilities with the safety net and the support, you know, of your company. And then when you are doing great work, the magic happens. The actual leader within the organization encourages you to go out and take that risk. Um how did that feel? I mean, because it doesn't sound like you, you said you always grew up knowing you wanted to be an entrepreneur. But if I'm hearing your story right, Abby, it doesn't sound like at that moment you were like stricken by, oh, no. Right. So was that what you call that moment, that encouragement, that support from someone that you really trusted? Was that really the boost? And 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 do you do you think that having that kind of environment is really productive for folks that you know want to go out and accomplish their dreams? I would never have started a business if it wouldn't have happened that way. Um, mm, it was mm. it was crucial, and we were really lucky because Gravity Tank was such an anomaly. Um, we were not the first business to spin out of learnings from the company. So there was another, there was like a research tool called DScout that's still in business today and they're doing fantastically. There were a couple of other companies that had already launched from within Gravity Tank. So I think Chris always had considered a bit of an incubator for ideas and just like being open enough to seeing what path that took. So the company took a, a portion of ownership in the business and it was a model for them to try things and diver diversify the things that they were working on because most of their portfolio of work was you know, Fortune 100 companies innovating new products. And I think they were pretty smart about identifying that they had talent within that they could launch and develop into a model. So I cannot take any credit for that brilliance, but I see it for what it is that 
I wouldn't be here today if they wouldn't have encouraged me and wouldn't have provided that opportunity. Mm. And and Chris's, it's worth mentioning that Chris's wife, Sarah, um, ran operations for the business and the two of them couldn't be any more different from each other. And so mm. I not only got the mentorship on the idea and the creative side of the business, but operationally, I mean, Sarah, I went to Sarah Conley Business School. I joke about it all the time because she basically gave me the operating manual of how to run a business. And that was something that like, that's so important. That can't be stressed enough. Ideas are like 10% of it and how you're going to get it done and model it and make money off of it is the other 90%. Mm. And she was the other other half of that yin and yang to help me and Elena um, just be able to, to, to launch successfully. Oh, and see, then you said something else in there and earlier about which is why I am so gravitated towards you is your humility. And you were like talked about um, Gravity Tank investing in you all and, and helping you get yourself going. And and the way you referenced it was in a sense of like what you should be. You were very grateful and very thankful for it. But obviously there was something in you and what you were exuding and what you were bringing to the table that showed that you were a great bet. And one of those things, if you talk about, you know, going to, um, you know, learning from the folks within your organization is knowing how to ask the right questions and take advantage of those relationships. That is really important because I think a lot of people are surrounded by wealth, wealth of information, right? Wealth of schooling, wealth of knowledge. But you have to have the intention and the bravery and the uh, the wherewithal to engage with those people to learn and gather what you need to learn. And I kind of wanted to reflect on that a little bit. When you think about that education and insight that you were gathering, how important is that to, to really like actively and intentionally learn the things that you need to be applying to be able to evolve and grow into what you want to become? I think, yes, you hit it on the head. Um, I've always done that. Like my, my dad's a figure it out kind of guy. And I, that's just my upbringing. Like it's that poor kid hustle, like by any means necessary, let's figure it out. So you fix things around the house and you learn how things are done. Um, and I, I took that approach when I went to school and when I worked every job, like I worked at an ice cream shop and I was, I was paid to scoop and take money. Right. Mm. But I wanted to understand like how many people are working each shift how does all of this work? And so if you take those little learning moments, you can be a student of it in every job that you had. When I worked at the bank, I wanted to understand like, what's the flow of cash? How much does the mortgage department make? What's the sales from upstairs? Where's the sales from downstairs? That curiosity serves you. If you, like you said, if you ask the right questions, but we're taught in school a lot to like quiet that, like stick to the curriculum and stick to the things we're supposed to be teaching you, but your brain will tell you like, how does this work? Or how does that how would it work if we did it like this? And so if you just apply that question to every situation that you're in, you have a wealth of knowledge. And I think about like 12 year old me growing up in Iowa pre-internet, right? Mm. And now like that becomes so much more accessible. I think about how easy it is to do now as an adult. Like you get on masterclass and you have world-class leaders just telling you what they know and it's cheap. You can get on YouTube. You can learn almost anything from, like I replaced a toilet from what I learned on YouTube. You can learn anything. You just have to believe in the ability to find the information and be a savvy student of the internet, right? And then you just have to do it and not be afraid to do it. And we talked a little bit about failure last time we met up. And like, I think that culture of failure and just like failure, I fail all the time. If you don't fail all the time, you're not doing anything interesting. Like you should just be right on that edge mm-hmm. of electrocuting yourself when you're working working on something and applying curiosity and then taking advantage of like how easy it's become to be a student of the world. I think that's that's something I tell my younger self. That's something that I tell my team. That's something that um, my kids have the privilege of growing up with all of these resources that you and I had to work really hard to find. And remember encyclopedias, like just like squeezing the knowledge out of anything we could get. Mm-hmm. Kids don't have to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. I love it. And then, and then, oh my gosh, I love the 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 reflection of poor kid hustle. It, it, like, there's a friend of mine. I'm not going to say he, he has a good quote. Christian Borges. I want to make sure I, I quote him properly. He says, uh, "What does he say? He says hustle always beats talent when talent doesn't hustle." You know. 
And it's a really good thing. Absolutely. Right. You can have the skill. You can have all the knowledge. But if you don't have the hustle and you don't have the want and you don't have the mission in you, it's tough. And that, I think, is what's inspiring about you, Abby, is you found a way to do unicorn work and that you sounds like you married a bit of your personal life mission to do good, to have an impact on people with the idea of what you were planning with early in your home around entrepreneurship. So here you are, Skill Scout is here. Um, and you're doing both of those things. You are you are working as an entrepreneur. You are helping people, you know, deliver against their goals and dreams. But you're also making a difference and you're impacting people. So if you don't mind, I just love to talk about what is Skill Scout. And when you started the company, how did you think about it from a mission perspective and and, and what you wanted to, you know, create and drive in the world? That's a great question. So Skill Scout is a creative studio that helps bring stories into the world through film. Um, So we started out very much workforce uh, centric. Like we started out, how do we connect people and young people that might not have ever seen, uh, you know, the inside of a workshop to those jobs that are available in their own communities. So it really started out of a mission of let's just make employment less scary for people who don't have the uh, exposure to different jobs. And so Elena and I, it just was a couple of us and um, a couple cameras out on the west side of Chicago and all the all the manufacturing uh, parks filming jobs, CNC operators, welders, machine operators. Um, and that grew into, you know, we did, we did good work, as best of work as we could do at the time and built relationships with people and really wanted to make them successful in what we were doing together. So we'd check in on like, Here's how to post your video. Here's here's how we think it would get the most bang for your buck on uh, LinkedIn or wherever you're posting it. And we just started building relationships and building um, a reputation for ourselves. And it grew and it grew pretty organically. Um, and now we work with Fortune 100 companies to tell stories that range from, you know, specific. We still do job videos. Well, what is it like to work at, uh, you know, McDonald's or what is it like to work at CVS Health? Um, but we are able to tell a little bit more impactful stories and work in content across what companies are sharing. So whether that's like external messaging of your employer brand um, or internal messaging for your employee communications, how do we make messages from big corporations feel more human? We kind of span it all now. That's excellent. So where do you start though? Where do you start? Right? Because, <laughs> right, right. Because stay with me. Someone is yeah. listening and they 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 got they got the business plan, right, Abby? They they you know they got the <laughs> idea. They 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 know where to find funding if they need it, even if it's friends and family. They got they have all the parts, but they don't mm-hmm. what you know what they're terrified about is starting. That that's what yeah, they are they are they're at the plate and they just got that bat on the shoulder. They won't let it off, they won't take the swing because they think the first swing has to be a home run, right? So yeah. Tell me, I want to hear the early days. Like, what was the start like, you know? It wasn't pretty. Um, We didn't have a business plan. Uh, I'm ashamed to admit now, but we didn't have a business plan. We just knew we have to make money. Um, There wasn't a world for us where we ran a business on startup capital and didn't have revenue coming in from day one. So we knew whatever we could do to sell projects so that we could go out and film and get people to pay us to do that. We had to do that. So start out going to manufacturing events um, and just like introducing ourselves, that that in-person hustle. Uh, and then we started you know, canvassing the neighborhood. It was funny. I was telling the story to my team because in the same in the same evolution we were in then, I feel like in some ways we're in now with the, the new clients we're pursuing. But those old world sales tactics, like I never sent an email campaign. I think that feels so different from who I am and how I want to grow the business. But we would spend days going out to Elk Grove Village and taking cookies and little like brochures and stuff to all the manufacturing park. And we got some looks and it was just so door to door. Um, but we got our first few clients mm-hmm. and we sold them video for way too little money. And we, but we got proof of concept and we had money coming in from day one. Um, so I think in the early days, like a lot of people in the startup world, don't worry about revenue right away because they have the business model and they know they need to meet critical mass on this or they got to get the customer base or whatever. 
that wasn't reality for us. Cause like I said, I had a kid, so we knew we had to start making money from the beginning and you have to build your business as you're doing that. Cause you're going to learn with real ammo. The first few shoots, we learned everything that made us better. The next few shoots that made us better. The next few shoots. And there's something just very, keeps you very honest about what you're building. If you're in contact with customers from the onset. Mm. Um, and then it's just about building relationships and caring about people's success because we didn't just deliver the product and be like, all right, see you later. Um, we built the business on gratitude. So we checked in, we did things that didn't scale in the beginning and would help post jobs. And like for some of the people that didn't know what to do with their content, like we were playing an agency a little bit. Um, and they remembered that they remembered how we helped them be successful and introduced us to more people. And what I found was business is all about relationships, um, mm. cold sales. Like you might get 1% and it's if the relationship starts off on the wrong foot. You get an introduction from somebody that you've helped be successful to someone else they know. And that's a totally different ballpark. Um, so in the early days, it felt really hard, but we, we just, you, you just have to not be afraid. No job too, too big or too small. So, you know, putting on your coat in the middle of winter and going out to the manufacturing park to hand out Girl Scout cookies and a brochure. I mean, that worked for us. And we're doing the same thing now where it's like if in, in the world where the uh, economy has become an attention economy, right? Mm. There's this and that and everything's digital. Um, we're trying to go old world with how we reach out to people now too. Like how could we get something nice delivered to somebody's office and delight them and surprise them? Uh, so I think just taking the risk, getting revenue from the beginning and making good on every single thing that you put out in the world. That was really good advice that was given to me that we took that stuck, uh, that helped us get through that first six to eight months where it felt impossible. And then Oh my gosh. Let's talk about gratitude is something you referenced there. You referenced yeah. that. Okay. Let's go, let's go full circle on this. I'm love. Oh man, Abby, I'm happy. I brought, oh, this is great. So then we go, we go back to Iowa. Okay. Yeah. We go back to home. We go back to the upbringing. We go back to humble beginnings and planning early human traits and who you are being gracious. Right. And mm -hmm. I've always talked a lot about that. And, you know, when people ask me for advice, for perspective, you know, I go, honestly, you, 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 you can never be wrong being gracious. You can't, right. You know, yeah. if, yeah. if, the, if, if the, if the battle is, if the battle is between being, you know, right and, and, and good, being good is always going to be right. You know? So mm -hmm. I love to talk about just, when you think about yourself and the power of gratitude and what it means to how you develop your business, how you treat your people, right? Because that's a big part of what Skill Scout is doing as well as making sure that organizations are actually embracing like the whole of the person and creating real culture, you know? So I just love to kind of talk about what is your perspective on the importance of gratitude and and and, and business? Gratitude's everything. It's not about you. You're standing on the shoulders of every person that's given, opened a door for you or given you a chance. And that's true for mentors and people that helped kick you off. And that's also true for clients. Every project, I have gratitude. I thank my clients gratuitously. I thank them for the silliest things, like small little edits, like, thank you for the opportunity to work on this. And they're like, oh, of course. But it's like, I, no, I'm actually very grateful that you came to me. There's lots of options out there. Um, and so we we practice gratitude with our clients. I think our team appreciates that. They practice gratitude. It came really full circle. Uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago, we had, we had a rough week and my team shipped me uh, a care package for me and Elena. And they're sending us to the spa in Chicago because they know that neither of us would spend the money on ourselves to do that. But they, they're sending us to the spa. They sent us this heartfelt package. And it was just like, I'm not a crier, but I cried. And I was like, turn off the Google Meet. Um, but that gratitude felt so good to get in return. Like it just uh, reinforced the message that being grateful spreads gratitude to others, spreads to others. And none of us got here alone. And so it's it's uh, an egomaniacal fool who believes that he climbed the mountain by himself. The mm -hmm. person that made your shoes helped you climb that mountain. The person that trained you helped the climb. Everything came from a culmination of lots of people, whether you see that or not. Uh, so gratitude's everything. Gratitude's everything. And I, and I appreciate the people who have propelled my career. And I also appreciate the people who have stopped me in my tracks, the failures, mm -hmm. the things that got hard. I'm grateful for the hard relationships 
you know, the people who have come and gone from working in the business, the clients that have come and gone, because every relationship, you have to be grateful for the hard times just as much as you're grateful for the good, the spa package. You got to be grateful for the hard things that you got through too. Um, yeah, gratitude's everything. <laughs> it's key. It's key. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm very spiritual, but I'm not the biggest like religious person per se, but I, I do yeah. believe in something which is like, perhaps there's value in not praying that things don't happen to you. Maybe there's great value in praying that you can really appreciate when things happen to you. Yeah. And failure, I think, is an interesting part of developing the business. And I think failure plus gratitude really equals growth. And I just love to hear about, we talked about how to start, but I also love to hear about there have to have been moments and perhaps there are moments now where you wake up you 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 your iPhone's going off, that alarm's going off, and you're like, oh, today, you know, it's not always easy, you know. And so I would just love to hear about, you know, any of your experiences around when it gets tough and when you had to really kind of look yourself in the mirror and go, I gotta keep going, you know. Yeah, I I think I fail every day, right? Like I think failure is part of it. Um, we've had you know, failed projects, failed launches, failed sales calls, failed everything. I think the hardest ones are fail, failed hires. When you hire mm. someone that's an amazing human being, but they're not a good fit for what you're trying to do. That's a really hard failure. We've had a couple of those, but it's hard not to take it personally. Um, but in the same way, if someone has to have a departure from your company, using gratitude in that moment too is really important. I'm grateful that you came here. I'm grateful for the time we had together grateful for everything that I learned with having you here. Um, but that that failure, that still gets to me, uh, you mm. know, making choices about bringing people in because I feel responsible for people when they work with me. Um, and so that's that's been probably the hardest failures. But you, you can't win without failing. You have to have failure as part of the game. Uh, and then you have to have an open and honest enough communication line with everybody about what that failure is. So we do project debriefs and on, on at the end of every production, we do a retrospective where it's like, what went well, what failed, what are we going to do different about that next time? And there's never a project where it's like nothing failed. We're always searching to see the little tweaks. So embracing failure as part of the culture has been huge. Um, I think there's also like doubt creeps in for every business owner. If, if there's not a time where you're feeling doubtful, you're probably a little delusional because there's mm -hmm. doubt in, in, around every corner. But you have to learn when to listen to that and when not to. And that only comes from failing enough times that you're like, oh, yeah, that voice, I should have listened to that on that time. Uh, but doubt, I think, is also an opportunity to fail. Like, I think that's probably the biggest failure um, is doubting, doubting what you're doing, doubting yourself. It's probably a time that every business owner has thought about getting a real job and going mm. back or taking the easier path. And if you let doubt creep in, uh, and places that it doesn't belong, that's, I think, where the true failure can can come. And there have been lots of moments where, you know, Elena and I have had, there, during the pandemic, I mean, we were like, how are we going to survive this? And moments where you don't make payroll for yourself, leaders last. Um, but don't let the doubt creep in so that it clouds the future, because doubt will, it, it will stop you in your tracks, and it will stop you from doing the thing that you're absolutely capable of doing, because you get so distracted by it. Mm-hmm. 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 Yep. I always say every every day there is a battle. There's a daily competition and there's a singular enemy. And the singular enemy is doubt. It is. It's yep. self-talk. It's self-talk. Yep. Right. That is the enemy. Not all the extrinsic things, not, you know, it really is internal, you know. And another thing that can make doubt really grow is kind of like an inability to address like change and like evolution in our industries and in our work. And honestly, I think the work that you do in the creative space right now might be facing some of like the biggest like trend changes in terms of, you know, whether it be the latest buzzword with, you know, AI, you know, whether it be, you know, working from home and, and what that means to company culture. I mean, you are really, your business is existing in this very, uh, you know, Victorian like 
experience around what culture at corporate environment actually looks like, and also just how creative and media are produced. So I would just love to hear a little bit about when you think about the business and, and its growth, what are some of like the key trends and, and key you know, macro factors that you know you all need to be prepared for and that you need to be leaders within? I ask myself this every day. <laughs> um, Post-pandemic world, I think you don't appreciate things until they're gone. And what the pandemic taught us is that we didn't appreciate the human connection we all had until it was taken away from us. And so there's still this desire. And I think it'll I think it'll be a through line from at least the next generation because they were little when this happened, uh, of a desire for human connection. Um, just we missed each other. And so content and messaging and things that bring us together at a time that we were not only not physically together, the country has been very divided. I think there's a desire to remedy that and to be the, the good actors that help heal some of that. So content is, is, you know, obviously following that trend. You know, I was talking with my team and even TikTok trends of, you know, capturing serendipitous moments of, uh, you know, the little human stories. So there's stories of guys who play video games together and they might not have ever met, but they play video games together for years across the country. And so there's, you know, people getting together on TikTok, doing little, let's meet your, let's meet your, your video game bro and capturing it. And it's these moments where your heart just bursts and you don't know these people and it's 30 seconds of your life, but these, these heart bursting, uh, love connections, and I don't mean romantically, but I think infusing everything with love is a big trend, and I don't think it's going away. I hope it's not going away. Uh, AI obviously is going to change everything, just in the same way that, like, when I grew up with no internet, we grew up with no internet as children, and our children are growing up with internet. It's a completely different world. The same thing is true with AI. AI is as pivotal to the the access to information and the ability to process data and process information for humans as the birth of the internet. Um, so, you know, my team and I are getting as smart as we possibly can, but I would say if you're not using 10 AI tools on the daily right now, you're already behind. And to be fearful of it is, is ignorant. Uh, it's not going to take jobs. It's going to engineer new jobs. Um, there's a whole industry that's about to come up. I'm training all my people to be uh, prompt engineers for AI tools so that we can, there's always going to have to be a human interpreting what it means to get emotion and to get those things that we desire out of AI. And so we got to be smart about the, this whole industry of jobs that is about to burst into the industry. Um, and then I think along the same lines of like infusing love and everything we do, because we desire human connection, uh, brands are just getting more and more conflated. You and I've talked a little bit about this. Like in years past, there was consumer brands. Obviously that's always been a thing. You know, 20 years ago, employer brand became a thing where it was like, what is our brand as how we treat our people? And those two worlds sat in different divisions. Employer brand sat with HR. Um, and so it's, it's steps on consumer brand. Uh, but I think that gap is closing and because we're all able to access information all at one time, we want to know a holistic view of a company. We judge a company based on their product and how they treat their people and their footprint in the world. And so really that conscious capitalism, that people planet profit thing, I think that's going to be the future of how our kids and their kids see companies. And so brands that are smart are starting to think about how those two, how those two messages converge. And you talk about your products, but you also talk about the people behind your products and how you treat them and how it's like to work at, the, at your company. So that convergence is coming. Um, and then I think content, video, stories, all of those heart bursting moments are going to become more personalized, uh, more tailored to an individual experience. And what that looks like, you know, people can postulate about you can plug Tom Cruise into any movie you want. And maybe I don't know that that'll be the, the use case. Um, but anything's possible. And personalization with AI is only going to become, you know, more and more uh, prevalent. So personalization is, is I think, the way brands should be thinking about individual. It's just empathy. How does this individual experience my brand? And then show that individual the experience that you desire them to have. 
um, which means, you know, one size fits all messaging is out the window. It's not going to work anymore. It's got to be tailored to the person that you're that you're speaking to. Mm, I, I think you're right. I think it's I think it I think the personalization is a byproduct of digital exhaust because there's so much digital access and really like lingering information that um, without personalization, whatever your goal is, if it's acquiring a new customer, if it's finding the right talent, if it's creating the right connection, there are just so many other distractions that can actually um, derail that that targets path towards your conversion, you know? So having something that can almost, um, it's almost like, uh, you know, honey to a bear, you know, like you, you have to have a strong scent based message that is only attracted to that particular being and can really help them avoid getting distracted with anything else. Otherwise, you risk losing them in the sea of exhaust. You really do. So I think I think you're right. And so kind of points towards maybe a few more questions I have, and then I'll let you get back to running what I think is a wonderful business. But I don't want you to try to prophesize here, but what are you thinking about in terms of the next five years, both for yourself, well, for yourself, for your family, and also for your business? What's on your mind? And what are you kind of thinking about in terms of what really needs to, you know, be addressed or what's going to have a major impact on your life and what you want to focus on? It's a great question. Uh, I think my answer changes daily. Obviously, I want all the things that that good parents want. I want a good future for my kids where the plan is taken care of and there's there's good messages and inclusivity uh, out in the world. So I, I think a lot about that. Um, and I think we're headed in the right direction. You know, when you think about how you and I grew up and how people were accepted and included and uh, just the the experience of growing up now is very different and there's pros and cons to it. But overall, I think we're more accepting people. Um, so I think about that a lot. And then I think about how does that intersect with my work? And I want to do big things. We've got the permission from companies to help tell these heart stories of their people and the people behind you know, the careers at Nike or American Airlines or PlayStation. And I wanna I wanna bring that to the forefront. I think people that work at a company should be a part of their brand message. Um, and so, you know, my big goal from a business perspective is to bring marketing and talent acquisition together to work on projects collaboratively. Because if we're really gonna personalize messages, we have to have empathy that all the people seeing our messages could be a potential consumer. They could also be a potential employee. And what does that look like when they're both? Um, we have to assume everybody's both if we're really going to build the next generation of talent that's going to build all our businesses. So on a professional goal, I, I like working more cross-functionally with our clients, um, which we've had the great fortune to do on some big projects this year. But I want to do more and more of that. I want to look at messaging and video content more holistically um, from a company perspective and more individual from a consumer perspective. Uh, so what does that look like? That means, you know, creating ads that play on big formats and small. That means uh, people that work at companies show up in commercials um, instead of actors and just authenticity being brought to the forefront. I think AI is super exciting. And I think it it makes us, it, it's beginning to free us up to think about what's next in a way we haven't been able to before. Um, so will we use it for renderings and modelings? Of course, but I think I haven't really grasped, my brain is too small to grasp the enormity of what's possible in the next five years with AI, but I certainly have some ideas. Um, and then I think just making an impact at home, like treating my people well, building our business. Um, I have some of the best talent in the industry working with me and I feel so lucky. Um, and they like working with me and, and Elena and, I think that that humbles me every day and I want to do more of that. Um, I have people applying for jobs from places that I never dreamed would want to work at Skill Scout, and it's pretty incredible. So I want to do more of that. Um, but really it's those three things. It's, it's making a better planet and good household uh, for my own people, my own kids and my own husband and their future generations. Um, 
and then building the business in a way that I think is going to be really helpful and healthy to our clients by working with the colleagues in marketing uh, and just like keeping, keeping the pulse on my own team and making it a great place to be. I love it. I think those are the right goals. I think they are the right goals and they're accomplishable and they will make a difference. They'll stick to your mission and what you're trying to create. But in order to do that, you got to take care of yourself. Right. And so my final two questions starts with a question I ask everyone that comes on the show. It is actually it's actually really important. And it's just like, how are you taking care of your wellness? You know, whether that be, you know, for Mm -hmm. me, you know, I'm you know, I'm, I ebb and flow. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a major reader, big podcast listener. You know, uh, this po- this podcast is therapeutic for me, quite honestly. You know, very big into health and wellness, working out and keeping myself healthy and eating well. But everyone has their own thing. And I think that's important when you are a leader. You know, you have to actually demonstrate that you are taking care of yourself, right? Because one of the things that can really hurt talent, one of the things that can really hurt culture is this idea that, the job, the company is you, is everything that you are, you know, and you have to find spaces yeah. to make sure, particularly in these times, you know, it's not as rough as it was during COVID, but taking care of our mental and physical wellness is really key and making sure that we're just being fresh, learning new things, being around new and exciting ideas. So yeah, how are you keeping yourself inspired and how are you taking care of yourself? You know, how are you taking care of your wellness? That's a great question. Uh, wellness didn't come into the picture for me until maybe five years ago, um, but I'm very uh, I'm very focused on it because without a well body, your mind can't be well. So, you know, I, I joined the Peloton cult. So I got a rower and a bike and I work out every day um, and try to feed my body well. And that's, that's foundational. I also sleep. Like people who say, oh, you sleep when you're dead. I think that can lead to burnout really fast. And I've done that life and I, I've, mm. I've led the business like that and it's a lesser version of me. So sleeping well, eating well, taking care of your body and then taking deep time off, um, which is really hard to do. But I have kids. So when I go on a vacation with them, uh, I, I it's really hard to be tethered to email because they're a lot, they're little. And so taking deep time off, it always feels wrong in the moment, but then you do it and I come back and I have new ideas or I'm inspired by things because the space away from work is, is really healthy. Uh, and then I think lastly, like just community, like participating in local community and things you care about is rejuvenating. And it can be little things um, or it could be big things. You know, I have time for little things. And so as much as I can be a member of our community and get to know our neighbors and just be present in the moment without my phone, uh, that's, that's very healing to me. Turning your phone off is very healing. We joined the pool this summer and it was shocking to me the first day I went, I shut my, I shut my phone off because I didn't want it to die in the sun. And I came back to it and I felt different. And I think we should do that all the time. <laughs> Make space for that, at least periodically. It's really crazy. No, it's really true. I, I, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to misquote the stat, but uh, I was listening to a story recently and the story reference, I think within the if you if we looked at the last 50 years of human existence, we now are exposed to thousands more signals throughout the day than humanity has ever been exposed to. And I say that, Abby, because I don't think we're very conscious of the negative mental impact it has on us. And I think we do really, really like undervalue the importance of being present you know, it is so healing. It's so refreshing. It's so invigorating. When you are truly with your family, your phone is down, your kid is talking about uh, the friend at school that colored on their page in the wrong color. It was the biggest thing in the world. And you are really in tune with it. You know, that kind of information gathering and that kind of engagement with people is just, I think, really critical to all of our health and wellness. So I'm actually I'm actually really passionate and I love the fact that you were tactically aware of put the damn phone down, like actually just like watch the water. Isn't that cool? You know, all the things that you can gather and what that can do to our creativity. And so what I love to close with is. I mean, number one, thank you, Abby. You are very inspiring. And I would like you to inspire your younger self. You know, if you're looking back to that kid in Iowa that's growing up in a household with two wonderful parents, 
in a wonderful home and community, what advice would you give yourself? I think the biggest piece of advice is that it's going to be okay. Like, be optimistic. I suffer from anxiety. And so that's been a through line in my whole life. And that, that can manifest as doubt. That can manifest as a lot of things. But I would just reassure my younger self and anybody else who's suffering from anxiety, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And you can do this. And you, but you can't do it if you let the doubt sit out in front of you. And I don't think there's anything else really that would have this much impact uh, on my younger self and probably other people. I see it in my kids too. And I'm trying to bring that generational healing in and, and help them know what I didn't know then, but it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. to the sky.